0: Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. The stars and Homer seem to have aligned. Book 11 on 1111. I swear I did not plan this. Um, What will be really eerie is if you find yourself listening at 1111 on 1111. I will see 1111 on the clock as I'm writing this that means anything. Good thing it's not 2011, except for the whole shall we call it a debacle <sighs> whatever 2020 is. Um yes, today we have book 11 of the Odyssey. When we last left Odysseus, he was still telling the Phaeacians his story, um not that the epic has revisited that scene um yet. So we're still in the story within the story, but we haven't stepped back to the story yet. And we aren't going to just yet. Book 11 starts inside that story within the story. Um, Odysseus and his men have sailed away from Kirky's Island and they land at the place uh, she told them to. Um, Odysseus digs a pit for the sacrifice of the ewe and the ram that Kirky provided at the end of Book 10. Um, Once this makeshift altar is created, Odysseus makes the sacrifice and pours the blood into the pit, and the blood draws the shades of numerous dead to it. Uh, While Odysseus protects the pit from the shades, he tells his men to finish the sacrifice to death and Persephone. Odysseus is waiting for Tiresias. The blood in that pit is for the shade of the blind seer to allow the shade to speak to the living, but that's not the first shade they see. The first is Elpinor, the young man who fell off of Kirky's uh, roof. This is a surprise to Odysseus. Uh, he asks Alpinor how he got to the land of the dead first. Elpinor explains that Odysseus took the high road, well he took the low road, and that's how he got to Scotland. Um, I mean Hades afore him. Uh, this is news to Odysseus. Uh, he didn't realize that Elpinor was dead. Elpinor asks him to go back to Aiaia to bury him so that he can finally cross over into Hades. Odysseus promises to do so. The next shade he sees, still not Tiresias, it belongs to Anticleia. Who, you might be asking, <laughs> as well you should. We have heard the name Laertes, uh, but this is the first time we have heard the name of Odysseus's mother. He longs to speak with her, but he holds off. Um, He must speak to Tiresias first. Tiresias finally appears and Odysseus lifts his sword so that he might drink from the pit. And does Tiresias have a few things to say? (laughs) First of all, he tells Odysseus that Poseidon is pissed, you know, because of that whole Polyphemus thing. Uh, Then he tells Odysseus to be very careful when he lands on Thrynakea. That's where Helios's cattle graze. Um, they are very special cows. Don't touch them. Leave them alone. If you do, it will still be rough going, but everyone will get home. If you don't, it's not going to be pretty. You'll wander for years and everyone will die. Except for you. Obviously. Because you're telling the story and all. Oh, and just wait till you get home. There are all these guys there who want to marry your wife. You're going to kill them all. Every single one. Oh, um, spoiler alert. But Once you're done with the killing, you need to be done with the killing. And here's how you'll atone for it. You'll take your oar and walk inland, and you'll keep walking until someone says, why are you carrying that winnowing fan on your shoulder? And that's where you'll plant your oar and sacrifice to Poseidon and study war no more. Study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. Okay, I'll stop singing. (laughs) Once Tiresias reaches the end of his prophecy, Odysseus asks if there is a way to speak to his mother's shade. Tiresias explains how the blood works and then fades back into the realm of the dead. Odysseus waits until his mother's shade comes closer and he lets her drink from the blood. It works immediately and she knows her son and is able to speak with him. She asks why he's here. How is he not at Ithaca yet? He explains what's happened on his journey so far and asks what she's doing there. Is there anyone else he knows there? His, His father, his son, his wife? She reassures him that Laertes and Penelope and Telemachus all still live, but Penelope mourns as she waits and Laertes has taken himself away from the palace to live alone with his sorrow. As for herself, she died of a broken heart waiting for her son to return from the war. Odysseus reaches out to hug her, but she's a ghost. He tries three times, but there is nothing there for him to touch. He asks her if she's just an illusion sent by Persephone to taunt him, and she tells him, no, this is what happens when you die. The same fate awaits him one day. Then she tells him to pay attention to everything and everyone he sees here so that he can take the story back to Penelope when he gets home. We then start a section known as the Catalog of Women. We get snippets of many myths as these ghosts of wives and daughters, one by one, get the chance to drink the blood of the pit. Tyru, who fell in love with the river Anipius and gave per- birth to Peleus and Neleus, and whose sons by her human husband were Fairies, and Amithion. That's son, not Jason. He's Jason's father. We'll read about Jason in the next epic. Um... Then comes Antiope, who bore two sons of Zeus, Amphion and Zethos, and Zethos founded Thebes. And Alcmene, whom everyone already knows as the mother of Heracles, and with her comes Megare, Heracles' wife. Next is Epicaste, whom we know better as Iocasta or Jocasta, who unwittingly married her son Oedipus. Then Cloris, whose hand fought for and won. And Leda, who gave birth to the twins, Castor and Palladukes, who uh, both still live and die, in turn, one alive one day, one alive the next forever. There's no mention of their sisters, Helen and Clytemnestra. What can you do? Interesting, given the fact that, again, it's all these women's ghosts, but the sisters are not mentioned. Uh, then Ithamidea, wife of um. Aeolius and mother of Otos and Ephialtes, these giants who would have challenged Olympus had they been allowed to grow to adulthood. They were they were like five times the size of a normal man when they were seven. So they were struck down by Apollo before they grew old enough to overthrow the Olympians. And Phaedra and Procus and Ariadne, Theseus took Ariadne from Crete and would have brought her home to Athens if Artemis hadn't killed her on the way. And Mera and Clymene and Arephili and more than Zeus can name. After all, it's starting to get late. And the scene shifts back to Phaeacia. He stops telling his story. The Phaeacians are entranced by his tale. Arita finally speaks, telling those gathered that her guest is also their guest and should be treated in the finest manner. And Elkinoa seconds what she says, adding that he knows Odysseus longs to be on his way, but perhaps, perhaps he could stay one more day, just one, and finish his tale. Any poet, say even Homer, any poet should have an audience as enthralled as Odysseus's. Odysseus agrees, and he returns to his tale of the ghosts he met in the underworld. After that line of women were gone, Persephone sent Agamemnon after drinking the blood, he sees Odysseus and cries out and reaches to his old friend, but of course, they are unable to touch Agamemnon as a ghost. <laughs> he tells Odysseus how Aegisthus and Clytemnestra killed him, and how poor Cassandra was along, along his side and, and killed too. He tells Odysseus not to trust women. Ever. Not even his wife. He should make sure his home is safe before he re- reveals himself to have returned. Then Achilles appears. He asks about his own son, whose story we've read in Greek tragedy. Odysseus assures Achilles that Neoptolemus came to Troy and helped win the war before going home. He has lived with honor and glory. Relieved, Achilles returns to the underworld. Odysseus sees more shades. One, One stands apart. It's Big Ajax. You may recall that Big Ajax died by suicide after a dispute with Odysseus. Odysseus wants to speak with him, but he turns away, doesn't drink of the blood. He sees Minos, King Minos, dealing out justice at the gates to Hades and Orion among the animals that he once hunted. He gets a view of Tartarus and those who are tortured there. Uh, Titios, whose liver is constantly being consumed by vultures because he assaulted Leto, the mother of Apollo and Artemis, and Tantalos, who is constantly tantalized by grapes that are just out of reach and water that drains away when he bends down for a drink, and Sisyphus, condemned to forever push a boulder up a hill, only for it to roll back down before he can get to the top, and Heracles, or the ghost of his mortal part. Heracles sits among the gods, but his mortal part is now a shade in Hades. And that ghost part, that ghost part does speak to Odysseus. It tells him about how he stole the three-headed dog that guards the underworld, with a little help from Hermes and Athena, that is. Odysseus waits, hoping to see more. Theseus, maybe, or Perithaus But the other shades begin to swarm around him, fighting to get to the blood in the pit, and Odysseus flees to his ship. And they sail away quickly, and book 11 ends. So remember how I spent most of an episode talking about orality? <laughs> That's because Homer wrote in a fairly illiterate time. Um, obviously, there was some literacy if things could be written down, but most people were not literate. Um, and the reason my myth episodes are different than what you may hear on other podcasts, or at least the ones that I listen to, um, is that I'm not putting together a story from multiple sources. Um, I'm trying to take you through what we have as primary sources. Um, And those myths all started out as stories, as oral stories. Uh, And so even though Homer's epics were written down, obviously, they were part of an oral culture. Um, So this is one of our oldest written sources for Greek myths, because Homer is some of our oldest written Greek literature, right? And this book has snippets of a lot of those myths that were also told around the fire on an evening, um, which means this is one of our oldest written sources for many of those stories. Uh, so characters that we've read about or will read about in the Greek tragedies first appear on the page here. Kind of fun, no? Okay, if you're a nerd like me, maybe. But moving on. Um here is something that I had to think about because I've either not noticed or paid attention in all of the other times I've read the Odyssey, and that's a lot. I don't know how I missed this before. Um, in order for shades to become aware and speak to the living, they must drink the blood, right? Um, so Odysseus is guarding the blood to and won't let anybody drink it until Tiresias does. But Odysseus is able to speak to Elpinor without Elpinor drinking the blood. Um I have a theory. The only reason I can see for this disparity is that Elpiner is so recently dead that he hasn't forgotten himself yet. He has not received a proper burial, so he has not yet been able to cross the River Styx and drink from the waters of the River Lethe, um, which are the waters that make the dead forget who they once were. Um, So it's this... Concept of the underworld, where in a way you find peace through forgetting, um, and just yeah, I, yeah, the Greek Greek afterlife. It's it's interesting. Um, we'll have to get into that another time. You know, <laughs> obviously, just beyond the scope of this this episode. Um, all of the other shades that Odysseus speaks with have have been buried. They have gone through the whole underworld afterlife process supposedly but Elpinor hasn't yet and I think maybe that's why Elpinor can still recognize the the living and speak with the living because he hasn't completed all of the rituals associated with death um, anyway the part that I distinctly remember being explained to me when I first studied this is, is the whole ore thing in Tiresias' prophecy. Now, if you know what a winnowing fan is, you're saying, duh, Beth, everyone understands what's going on there. Um, but since winnowing fans aren't used so much, what with modern farm equipment at all, it's not as common of an implement as it once was. A winnowing fan is used to separate the wheat from the chaff. Um, you kind of scoop up some grain and toss it in the air and let gravity and wind do the work or... At least that's basically how it was described to me. I have no personal experience with winnowing. Um, so I could have described that completely wrong. But that's kind of how I visualize it. Um it, And a winnowing fan is shaped a little bit like an oar. Um, So Odysseus is told to carry his oar to a place so far inland that people don't know what an oar is. Um, they just see um a kind of weirdly shaped winnowing fan and that's where he's supposed to make sacrifice to Poseidon at a place so far away from the sea that they don't know about boats who would worship Poseidon in such a place um no one so Odysseus needs to make amends for everything he's done wrong by bringing the worship of Poseidon to a place that has had no need to worship him in the past. And he does this by planting his oar, a symbol of his worship in the earth. He must turn his sword into a plowshare. Um, yeah, I, kind of love the symbolism of this part. It's a nice conclusion to the 20 years Odysseus effectively spends at the Trojan War. Now, of course, we have to get him to Ithaca first. Um, The final part I, of course, need to talk about is the Catalog of Women, Um, a website that I frequently reference uh, just to make sure that I don't get too lost um, on on these uh, epics episodes um is called lit charts and um it's kind of like cliff's notes uh but I frequently find that it's it's decent, it's better than um Cliff's Notes frequently is. Um and so I'm really surprised that the woman who wrote um the the Odyssey chart completely skips this section. There's no mention that there even is a part called the Catalog of Women. Uh, it goes, the, the catalog of women goes on for several lines, but she, but the, the lit chart skips straight from Anticlia to Agamemnon um, with no mention of what's, what comes in between. And I mean, historically, the catalog of women is a pretty important part of the epic. Um, this is one of those super ancient parts, um, these snippets of lots of other stories. And it's interesting because it's a catalog of women, not men. Now, in these snippets we get all of these stories um in the, in the in they're all about how a woman is related to a man or or men. But at the same time the stories all start with who the woman is. Um and there's something very I don't know feminine or gynocentric um about this whole underworld scene. Um, My translation uh, speaks of death and Persephone. Um, It's not Hades or Pluto. It's death. Hades is the god of the underworld. He's the king of the underworld, right? Death is a different god. Hades is not death. That's somebody else. Um, So the king of the underworld doesn't even appear. But the queen does. Which is interesting when we take a step back and remember that this is a story that Odysseus is telling to the Phaeacians And we've already seen that Aredi is of equal, if not higher, status to her husband. So maybe this is a purposeful move on Odysseus's part? Just a thought. It's easy to forget that there is a larger frame that all of this is happening in. Um, Ooh, and that sounds like a good AP credit question. I'll put that on the blog. Um, There's some other questions there, too, uh, that are not quite so esoteric. (laughs) Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's triumvirclio.school.blog and the URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Friday, we will cover two Homeric hymns. Um, they're dedicated to the Dios Curoy. Uh Who's that, you might ask? I will tell you on Friday. <laughs> Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing. Just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.